Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. This episode is going to build on what you've learned on the intraoral extraoral examination process. Clinical evaluation of the intraoral and extraoral exam also requires proper documentation, and it requires an understanding of how to best describe what you see when you evaluate your patient. It's important to involve your patient in the process and have targeted questions that assist you in evaluating completely. We will review some of the lesions that are commonly found, some of the pathology and how we study that pathology, as well as some of the terminology that's used to describe some of the lesions that you may come across. You are performing your intraoral, extraoral exam. It's important to involve your patient in the process of the intraoral, extraoral exam. It's important that you gain and understand some of the significant information that your patient might already be aware of. They may be aware of a lesion that's present or have something in their mouth that is bothering them. So they are part of the process when you're performing your assessment and you wanna determine by asking your patient if they're aware if there's something different since their last visit or if they've noticed any types of changes. Perhaps your patient may even understand the causes behind something that you noticed during your evaluation. It's important to develop some level of historical understanding of what you see and gather whatever information you can from your patient around what you see. Asking the right questions will help you in that process. Sometimes the patient will provide you with the information that you need in order to make an accurate observation of what you see clinically. It's important to note that only a microscopic evaluation of an area can provide a true diagnosis. And as dental clinicians, we can initially treat an area for what we consider it to be and then evaluate it for changes or improvement or some kind of positive move. And if the response is not achieved, we want to perform a brush biopsy or some kind of incision biopsy to diagnose properly the lesion that we, don't, that we noted. It's important to use the proper dental terminology in addition when you are describing or noting areas of concern in the dental chart. Now, I will refer you to the episode on the dental terminology to review root words along with prefix and suffix words that properly address documentation. And there are some specific words that I'm going to review here that provide you with the basics of understanding on how to properly document what you see clinically. Now, a raised lesion can be noted as a nodule, a papule, or plaque. Nodules are larger than a centimeter and are typically detected in the oral cavity by palpation. Now, the most common nodule is called a fibroma and that's described as solid or raised, and it's typically found in the buccal mucosa area. 
Now, a papule is a little bit smaller than a nodule, and it's usually attached to the underlying tissue with a tail or a stalk. These are called pedunculated attachment, but can also be palpated and present to have a flat base known as a sessile attachment. Now, a plaque is the third raised lesion, and these can be described as a large body or a mass that has sloped edges, and they can present with an increase in keratin right on the surface. They can also be determined by visual and palpating when you're doing your exam. Another category of descriptors can be used for fluid-filled lesions. Vesicles are a fluid-filled lesion that are round in nature, and they're approximately one centimeter in size. Now, pustules are also fluid-filled lesions, and they present with a purulent exudate that result from our body's own immune defense against some kind of infection. These are seen as normal, small, and round raised red lesions. There are lesions that can be noted as a non-raised lesion, and they're sometimes only found by visual inspection. Now, freckles and amalgam tattoos would be great examples of what we call macules, and they are flat, non-raised lesions that are small. They can be pigmented. Now, some freckles are not your friends, so it is important to note your clinical findings so that you can develop a historical perspective over time. A patch is a non-raised lesion that can cover a large or a small area in the oral vestibule. Lichen planus is an example of a flat, pigmented patch that can be seen clinically. Now, a denuded lesion can be described as an ulcer, erosion, or a fissured area. A denuded area is a void within a, with a very hollow appearance. So, an ulcer can vary in size, but appear very deep and wide and be very sore to your patient. They can scar when they heal. And the cause of ulcerations is varied among patients. And this is where your interviewing helps you, the clinician, to make these determinations and associations. Now, erosion is much smaller than an ulcer, and it's very evident on visual inspection. Erosion can be described as a shallow depression or a blister. Now, fissures appear like a crack in the area, and they can be seen in and around the oral vestibule and can be associated as normal or have an abnormal causation. Examples of a denuded lesion that presents fissured on the tongue is known as fissured tongue, or on the lips, seen as angular chelitis. As dental professionals, with patients under our care, it's important for us to be clear in our documentation process. Now, that being said, an intraoral camera picture is one of the best tools that you can use when you are monitoring a lesion for changes or improvement after some kind of treatment recommendation has been provided. Now, white lesions are the ones that develop a heightened sense of awareness when they are seen in our patients during our assessment. Let's divide these white lesions into understandable categories. 
Leukoplakia is described as a white, thick appearance to the mucosal tissue. It's important to develop an understanding around leukoplakia as to the cause behind that clinical appearance. Alveolar ridge keratosis has been found to present with leukoplakia right on the masticatory surfaces of missing teeth. Now these white lesions are formed from chronic functional masticatory trauma. These lesions show hyperkeratosis without any epithelial dysplasia and are an example of the importance of causation-related risk association. It's important to note that although the risk of malignant transformation is rare, our smoking patients should have follow-up when these lesions are discovered. Lichen planus is another type of white lesion that can present itself right on the buccal mucosa. Lichen planus can develop from a suppression of the immune system, and it appears as a thin layer of white lines called Wickman's striae, almost like web-like. It's known as white streaks. Now, lichen planus can also appear as lacy thin white lines with gray patches, plaque, or even candidiasis is a white lesion that can develop on the buccal mucosa. It could be present on the mucobuccal fold, the oral pharynx, and even on the lateral borders of the tongue. It can develop in response to a weakened immune system in a patient brought on by systemic conditions such as diabetes, HIV, or be a side effect from a medication that may reduce saliva flow in your patients. Candidiasis can present itself in several ways. Pseudomembranous candidiasis is a white thick lesion that you could scrape off the tissue when you're evaluating. This is commonly known as thrush. Hypoplastic candidiasis is also presented as a white patch or lesion but this can't be scraped off the tissue, so this will help you make a distinction between the two. Now, the third presentation that you can see with candidiasis is called atrophic candidiasis. And this type of lesion appears as a flat red lesion, typically located on the dorsal surface of the tongue, or it can be seen in the area of the hard or soft palate. Now, it's important to incorporate your interview style questions into this type of diagnosis in order to be sure that the lesion is not mistaken for a burn or from some other trauma. A differentiation should definitely be determined during the assessment process. As a clinician, you should consider some of the risks that are associated with oral cancer. It is helpful to know the risk factors that increase the likelihood of your patient presenting with a lesion so that you can connect the dots as you work along in your assessment. Oral cancer is strongly connected to patients who use tobacco products or products containing nicotine. Patients who present with nutritional deficiencies increase stress or anxiety or have a poor diet also have an increased risk. Patients who have a history of sun exposure or do not protect their skin or lips with sunblock 
also have a higher risk for oral cancer. Now there are three main types of oral cancer. Carcinomas, which are a malignant neoplasm, also called a tumor. And that starts in the cells or the epithelial lining of the oral vestibule and can divide and grow out of control. Carcinomas have the potential to spread to other areas of the body. So you wanna diagnose these early. Now adenocarcinomas are malignant tumors that develop in the glandular epithelial cells. Now these cells are the ones that secrete mucus in the oral cavity, so the saliva in our case. These typically present initially as a thick plaque-like mucus membrane and they spread fairly easily through the soft tissue. Now the third type of oral cancer is a sarcoma. And a sarcoma is a malignant neoplasm that arises from the supportive and connective tissue. And this can be found anywhere in the body. Sarcomas present as deep found bumps, so they're kind of way in, not on the surface. So they're below the surface and can be found mostly by palpation. Biopsy is the only true way to determine if a bump of sorts is technically a sarcoma. Now, the signs of oral cancer that you want to look for when your patient presents in the dental setting is maybe there's been a change in the way that your patient's teeth are occluding together. Maybe they're having difficulty with their chewing, or perhaps they indicate that they're having challenges with swallowing, speaking, or moving their tongue or jaw. Maybe they have a white or rough lesion on their lips when you're speaking with them or inside the mouth when you're doing your intra-extraoral exam. Perhaps your patient presents and articulates to you that they have been experiencing pain or tenderness or a burning sensation or some type of numbness somewhere in their oral vestibule. Perhaps their mouth, lips, or neck have some small eroded area, or there's swelling or thickening, or perhaps you find a rough spot or a lump. Maybe you notice a change in the color of the oral tissue compared to the last time you saw this patient. Maybe you notice sores inside the mouth that bleed for no reason. There's no explanation. Or maybe it's a sore that was present the last time you saw this patient. These are all indicators for you to look a little further and a little deeper at this patient. Now, dental hygienists and other dental professionals are not allowed to diagnose. The doctor is the person who diagnoses anything that is discovered during the assessment process. But we spend a lot of time with our patients and oftentimes a lot more time than the doctor. The doctors are relying on us to be experts in this area at locating, documenting, and then relaying that information to them when they come in to do their exam. Your patients are relying on you to have the knowledge and skills that are required to accurately locate these areas early. 
Now, it's important for you to know that there are some sites for squamous cell carcinomas that are higher risk, and those areas are the areas that you want to look closely at. The number one spot for a squamous cell carcinoma is on the lateral border of the tongue, in the posterior area. And the reason why I mention this is because this is an area that's really hard to find unless you're using gauze and retracting the tongue to look at that lateral portion of the posterior segment. You also want to take a good look at the floor of the mouth. Move the tongue up so that you may see the floor of the mouth and that whole sublingual area. It's all about being methodical and systematized so that you can find something early if it exists on your patient. And you want to treat every single patient that comes in your chair with the same level of focused attention. Thanks so much for listening today. Join me in the next episode where we will discuss some of the recommended action steps that will help you rest, recharge, reflect, and reboot to get yourself ready for your next semester. You may want to listen to this even if you're not on break or about to end your term. Sometimes we just need some good advice how to reboot ourselves. You might want to take a listen. I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.